Okay, guys, we're we are starting, ready or not. So anyway, so I introduce Nate here. All you guys know Nate, but um, I know him really well in lots of ways that you probably don't know him. So I won't tell you everything. But Nate, Nate, uh, Nate's a great guy. Such a neat Christian guy, and uh, we're fortunate to have him on our campus in Durango here, this part of the world. Um, He's going to be speaking on taking the fight, going to the fight, or running to the fight. And we've kind of had a fight at Fort Lewis College this semester. Uh, the administration has uh, wonderfully told us that we're not allowed to share the gospel with people, except only on a certain place at a certain time. And uh, trying to get the Christians to kind of be quiet. In other words, take away your freedom of speech as a Christian. And I'm sure we're going to hear more and more about that as our politics degenerate here in the United States. But anyways, uh, maybe we have to take the fight to the administration. And we had to actually go to the point of getting a lawyer involved. And all that kind of stuff, and all this legal hassle about the, the our amendment rights and all this stuff. And you know what? It looks like the campus is going to back down. So anyways, uh, thank God for that. And uh, even if... You gotta understand, even if the campus doesn't back down, we will continue to share the gospel, just like they did in the New Testament. But anyway, here's Nate. He's married. In case you don't know, he's got two little girls and a little boy on the way. And the little boy is uh, in for a real ride. I can tell. I can't. I can't wait to teach his little boy, you know, how to put. Uh, Bugs in his dad's drinks. Spiders. And spiders, particularly the black ones. Anyway, it's worth me. We call Russ the nursery director in our ministry. And not because he does crazy things with the kids, but he is so sweet to our kids. I mean, my daughter loves bugs. And so Russ, I mean, he comes over a couple months ago. He'd caught this big moth. He brings it over to the house to give it to my daughter so she could have a moth. So anyway, he's just, he is uh, so awesome to our kids. All right. So times are uncertain to say the least. We've been talking about thriving during uncertainty. And most of you that are involved in any kind of way with what's going on or at least observing what's going on have realized that times are uncertain. Have you been watching the news lately? Have you? Way too much? Okay. False belief systems claiming to be the truth are leading people astray, right? Wars and political uncertainty everywhere, right? Famines, poverty, natural disasters, Christian liberties being suppressed, churches dwindling and Christians backsliding. All this is in the news. Oh wait, I forgot. Those actually came from Matthew 24. Russ mentioned that yesterday, and I wanted to start by saying, guys, that Jesus told us these things, and he said why he told us these things. He said that we were being warned so that we wouldn't be deceived, and so that we would be watchful, ready, faithful, and standing firm until the end. Instead, we're looking at all those things that he said would happen, and we're seeing the uncertainty around us, and we're freaking out, not realizing that Jesus told us to expect those things precisely so that we wouldn't freak out. Isn't that kind of backwards? We're looking at exactly what he told us would happen. And he said, be watchful, be faithful, take a stand. 
and we're doing the exact opposite when we're looking directly at what he said would happen. What of all that's going on right now caught God by surprise? I want you to ask yourself that. Did this last election catch God by surprise? No. No. Did anything that's happened in the Middle East over the last year catch God by surprise? No. My mom is serving God in probably the most hostile location in the Middle East right now. And for all I know, she could be dead this very moment. Did, did what's going on in the Middle East around her catch God by surprise? No, no. No. None of this that's happening around us caught God by surprise. These uncertain times are not uncertain to God. And we as his followers should be real quick to follow him through uncertain times rather than freaking out about the uncertain times. God tells you in Isaiah 46.10, I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. So what's his purpose in this? If he is going to do all that he pleases. Acts 17.26-27, Brandon's favorite verse pretty much. We share this on campus a lot. From one man he made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. So why is it that you're alive in the time and place that you're alive? Did that catch God by surprise? Colin, you're alive in this time and at this place because God wanted you here. And why did he want you here for this time and this place? so that the people around you would seek him and find him. On a side note, Kyle and I and his sons have stood where Paul preached that. And he was in a very similar state of uncertainty and persecution and opposition. And in that very atmosphere, he was able to say that God had determined where people would live and the exact times that they would live so that people would reach out for him and find him. So when I look at the uncertainty around me, I have a couple options, and we'll talk more about this, but I can freak out about the uncertainty, or I can realize God put me here for this very time. This is not an accident. Steve is not in Cortez in 2012 purely on accident. This is part of God's grand design and plan for the entire history of the universe, to bring as many people as possible to himself. That should get us excited about this uncertain time. I feel like we should get excited about all that God has planned for us here. So you're here for a purpose. It's his purpose. And he is going to do as he pleases. So it's time for us to get in the game. I'm not saying that every single thing that happens in this world is what he desires to happen. People are sinful and do really crazy things. At the same time, he allows certain things to work alongside his plan to accomplish what he has willed from the beginning. None of this, again, catching him by surprise. So it's time for us to stop freaking out about the uncertain times and what we're watching on the news and to start realizing that God put me here to get in this game during these uncertain times, to be a part of his plan to accomplish what he has willed from the beginning during these uncertain times. A lot of times I tell the guys on campus that we need to fight to win, not just to survive. 
If you fight to survive, you don't always win, and you don't always survive. But when you fight to win, you always survive, and you usually win. Does that make sense? If our perspective is, I am going to run to the fight, I'm going to charge in headlong, and I'm going to win this battle, you're probably not going to struggle with surviving. That's probably going to be taken care of. And in fact, God promised you that he would meet your needs. So you don't have anything to worry about in that situation. But if that's your attitude concerning the uncertain environment that you're in, God is going to use you in great ways. Think of the great men that have arisen in times of uncertainty. Think about George Washington. He didn't arise in a time of peace and prosperity, but rather in a time of uncertainty and danger. Josh was talking about Abraham Lincoln. He just watched this movie. Abraham Lincoln didn't arise in a time of safety and prosperity and comfort, but rather in a time of uncertainty and chaos and opposition. And he rose to the challenge. Winston Churchill didn't come into power during a time of peace and prosperity, but rather one of fear and anxiety and stress and danger. And he rose to the occasion. I believe he was put here for that very time and at that very place to do the good that God had called him to do. And see, it is never going to be the case that great men rise up into what God has called them to do in a situation where there is no opposition whatsoever. And it's easy to look at the opposition and to freak out and want to be passive and back down, but God has called all of you men in this room to rise to the occasion, to be the Churchills and the Abraham Lincolns and the Washingtons of your time. And I'm not just saying in a political sense, but in a godly sense. There are so few good leaders in the church. There is so much hypocrisy in the church. And it's time that we start fighting to win, not just to survive. It's time that we start loving the fight. One of my favorite characters in all of Army history is General Patton. And I know he's kind of a crude character. But I love this guy's attitude about the fight. And when he landed on the beach of Morocco, they said that he was walking the beach and, and barking out orders as the French planes were strafing the beach. He was putting his life on the line every second just to mobilize people to get them to the fight. And he wrote his wife before that first battle against the Nazis, and he said, I will either leave this battlefield a hero or a corpse. Isn't that awesome? Talk about the right attitude about the fight. He wasn't going, I sure hope I don't get hurt. <laughs> I will leave here a hero or a corpse. What if we as believers had that attitude about the uncertain times that we're in? Don't you want to have that kind of attitude? It's so much better than the passive, fearful attitude of uncertainty and anxiety. See, the uncertainty around you should not be a surprise. Ephesians 6.13, and I'll mention it more in a minute, says that the day of evil is coming. Not that the day of evil might come. Not that the day of evil could come. But the day of evil is coming. And in case you haven't read it yet, the book of Revelation tells us a whole lot about what's coming, and it's a lot worse than anything we're seeing now. So I could expect things to just get better and better and better, but that's not... Believing reality. <laughs> I love our country, guys. I've lived in countries where people don't have the freedoms that we have. Before coming to college, I spent 
more than half of my life outside this country. I've shared my faith in a country where I could have been imprisoned for a long period of time for sharing my faith. I've lived in a country that was a socialist country that had elected the same communist government that had just gotten kicked out when the old communist dictator got assassinated. They basically ran the country the same as it had been run, except it was officially democratically elected. I've seen what those types of governments do to countries. I've seen what they do to people. I've seen how they destroy things. And you know what else I've seen? I've seen that Christians in those countries can still have the fruit of the Spirit. And I've seen that Christians in those countries can still do the Great Commission. And I've seen that Christians in those countries love God a whole lot more than most Christians in these countries. Right? They have engaged the fight. They're committed to being a part of the fight. And they fight with lots of joy and perseverance. Because they aren't excited about the comforts that they have. Because they don't have any. All they have is the hope that they have in Christ. And they're willing to lay everything on the line for that. Now what if we can get that perspective? When I lived in Romania, when we got there in 1992, there were about 28, 29, 30 lay to the dollar. When we left there, it was over 30,000 lay to the dollar five years later. Now, you can imagine the inflation that the average person had to deal with on a weekly basis. People that would be making $80 to $100 a month on average with prices about as expensive as they are here in the U.S. And overnight their buying power, which was already next to nothing, would be cut in half because of what happened with the dollar. You could imagine the uncertainty that those people faced. They weren't thinking about pensions or 401ks or getting a new car or a bigger house. They were thinking, can we even afford bread? And you know what? They had joy in the Holy Spirit. And they had peace. And they were seeing God use them to make a difference. I just want to encourage you that having seen that, I know that whatever could possibly happen in our country, we as believers have something that nobody can take away from us. And we're called to be a part of a fight that's coming no matter what we think about it. And I want to encourage you that the uncertainty should not be a surprise. It should be something that we expect. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be politically involved or anything like that. I'm as interested in politics as anybody in this room. I guarantee it. And I think you should exercise all the freedoms and responsibilities that God's given you in this country. You should be a good steward of them. You should just realize that there's something much greater than just that going on. See, God did not make you to passively enjoy this life. And there are only a few different ways that you can deal with reality. You can neglect the fight. See, the fight is ongoing. And you can say, I'm going to neglect it. When you don't fight, you always lose. Game over. Remember David and Bathsheba in 2 Samuel 11? David wasn't fighting the fight, and he ended up losing big. And the consequences went far beyond just that day. And it's the same in our lives. Guys, sin does not just stop in that moment. But it will have consequences Literally for generations oftentimes. Alright? So we can neglect the fight, or we can fight the wrong fight. When you fight the wrong fight, you always lose as well. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5 says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. 
We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Similarly, Ephesians 6.12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Who's in charge of this world again, guys? Well, ultimately, over all history, but who's the prince of this world right now? Satan. John 12, 14, and 16 all tell you that. There's an enemy that's working behind the scenes in this world. Right, Chad? <laughs> Chad and I talk about this sometimes. You guys, we cannot get sidetracked with the wrong fight. There's a bigger fish to fry, so to say. Right? There's a much bigger fish to fry. So can you can fight the right fight, but you can fight it the wrong way, and you're also going to lose when you do that. Uh, you can fight the wrong way by fighting in your own power. You don't have what it takes to win this fight. But you can try. You can try to fight in your own power, and a lot of guys do this, and they fall, and they fall, and they fall, and they fall. They just try a little harder, and a little harder, and a little harder. Dale talked about this this morning. And they lose, and they lose, and they lose. Because they cannot do it in their own might. A lot of times we fight for the wrong reason. Maybe we fight the right fight, but for the wrong reason. And our motives matter. Similarly, a lot of guys fight all alone. They might be fighting the right fight, but if they're all alone, they're going to lose every single time. Because you guys need each other, and I need you, and you need me. Alex Pena is not the same without me, and I'm not the same without him. We need each other. You can fight the right fight the right way, and that's what I hope you guys will do. Because if you fight the right fight the right way, you always win, guaranteed. You cannot lose. That's why I want to encourage you to fight the right fight the right way. That involves keeping your eyes on your Savior and being all in the fight. Running to the fight in His power, ready to engage your enemy. So let me tell you a little bit about that enemy before we go on. You have a few ambitious enemies, and they're not passive in the least. And they would love for you to be passive about the fight. They would love for nothing more than for Ben to say, I'm checking out. I'm going to be passive about the fight. So Satan is the first enemy I'm going to talk about, and he's very real. He is your enemy, and he schemes against you. The Bible says, and I'll share this in a minute, he says, or the Bible says he sets snares and traps for you. That should shock you a bit, but this week there are snares and traps set by Satan in your path. He is constantly updating and switching up his attack. He deceives the whole world. He accuses believers. He steals, he kills, and he destroys. And he's after Steve Birch. Okay? He's after Ryan. He's after Colin. He's after Peter and Gordy. Ephesians 6.13, I quoted it a minute ago. It says, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. The literal word used here is anahistemi, which means resist or to set yourself up against, to withstand or to oppose. See, this isn't a passive thing, but this is you saying, I'm going to oppose Satan and what he's trying to do in my life and in this world. James 4, 7 through 8 says, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. See, I'm supposed to be actively involved in this fight. 1 Peter 5.9 similarly tells us to resist Satan, standing firm in our faith in the midst of suffering. 
In 1 Peter 5.8, the verse before that says, be self-controlled and alert. Don't be passive. Don't be confused. Be alert. Do not get complacent about his traps and attacks. He's always shifting, tweaking, and maneuvering to destroy you. In 1 Corinthians 10.12, it says, if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. The second you think you got it covered, that's when and where he's going to hit. He knows you better than you think he does. So don't get complacent. Ephesians 6.11 reminds us to put on the full armor of God so that we can take our stand against his schemes. Remember, being self-controlled and alert. He's our enemy, scripture says. In Ephesians 6.11 it says he schemes against you. And the Greek word for scheme there is methodoia. Kyle always shares this. And it means that he's coming up with a specific strategy for you. Luke, he's not confused. He knows where you're weak. And he knows the other place you're weak, and the other place you're weak, and the other place you're weak, and the other place you're weak. And he's going to hit you in one. You agree. (laughs) He's going to hit you in one until you stand up and fight. And then what's he do? Just keep doing the same old thing? No, he goes over there where you're not ready. And then you shift there, he shifts back where else he shifts somewhere else. He is always scheming to get you where it matters most. 1 Timothy 3 and 2 Timothy 2 say that he sets snares and traps for you. I'm not saying this to get you too freaked out. I just want you to have a healthy appreciation for what you're up against. Revelation 12, 9 through 10 says he deceives the whole world and he accuses believers. Revelation 20, 10 again calls him a deceiver. And John 10, 10 says he steals, kills, and destroys. So it's time that we get the right perspective on our biggest enemy, which is Satan, right? He's stronger than you are. He's been around a lot longer than you have. And he's, I think, a lot more ambitious than most of us are about our collapse. But Jesus gave you authority over him. In Luke 10, Jesus says, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. The example that I've heard many times or the analogy is one of a policeman. He has no strength compared to a semi-truck. And the semi-truck barreling down the road could run him over and kill him that fast. But the policeman has authority, and he can put his hand up, and that alone will stop that truck. Similarly, you have authority over his attacks. You have authority over him through Jesus Christ. You're his son. And he's given you authority over the evil one. What the Bible tells you not to do is don't give him a foothold. Ephesians 4.27 says, Don't give the devil a foothold or a place, a space, an opportunity, or an occasion for acting. Don't let him through the door. The context of that passage in Ephesians 4 is knowing the truth. If we don't know the truth, we're giving him a foothold. It's putting off the old self. If I'm living the old selfish way, I'm giving him a foothold. It's being made new in your thinking, like Dale talked about this morning, by getting in the word. If I'm not doing that, I'm giving him a foothold. It's putting on the new self. If I'm not doing that, I'm giving him a foothold. It's walking in righteousness and holiness like Russ talked about. If I'm not doing that, I'm giving him a foothold. It's having no unresolved anger in me. If I'm angry, I'm giving him a foothold. It's being diligent in my work and what God's called me to do. If I'm not doing that, I'm giving him a foothold. It's speaking good, not evil. If I'm not doing that, I'm giving him a foothold. It's getting rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, and malice It's being kind, compassionate, and forgiving. And if I'm not doing that, I'm giving him a foothold. 
So it's time to stop giving him a foothold. Like I said before, he is in control of the system of this world. You can read that in John 12, 14, and 16. If you look back at Matthew 4 and Luke 4, what does Satan offer Jesus if he'll bow down? Yeah. Did he, did he have that to offer? He has a lot of authority over what's going on in this world. And the world, because of that, I believe, is your next big enemy. 1 John 2, 15-17 says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. But the man who does the will of God lives forever. Are you men that are going to do the will of God? I hope so. Right? Because everything else is passing away. Everything in this world that is so appealing is passing away. And it's also warring against you as it passes away. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Romans 12, 1 through 2. I can't be conformed to this world. Otherwise, I'm going to lose this battle. But the second I start letting him renew my mind with his word, I start to win this battle. See, we know that this world will not be perfect until Christ's return. If you doubt that, read some of the prophetic books of the Old and New Testaments. Look at some of what Scripture says will come at some point. Jesus in Matthew 24 told us to recognize the season. We're not going to know the day or the hour, but we'll know the season. And the season has never looked so apparent. It's time to get wise and realize, I would love for things to get better. There's a good chance they're not going to get a whole lot better in a political, natural sense. Does that mean I shouldn't be involved in politics or whatever? Absolutely not. I should be involved. I should vote my values, etc. But guys, I should also realize, I have to realize, that this world is not going the right way. Because this world is following the wrong prince. There's a savior that this world needs, and I'm here for that very reason. But my flesh is going to fight me as well. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? So your heart is deceitful. Okay? Caleb, you're the nicest guy I know, but you've got an evil heart. <laughs> but so do I. Okay? Josh, gosh. I love your smile. But your heart sucks. <laughs> to use some college lingo. Um, you guys, our hearts are desperately evil, the Bible says. Remember what Paul said in Romans 7.18? He said, nothing good lives in me. Do you agree? Philippians 3.3 reminds you to put no confidence in the flesh. Your flesh is fighting you. Your heart is fighting you. Your heart probably wants everything God doesn't want. And this is my prayer every morning is, God, I need your heart. I desperately need you to change my heart because my heart is sick and I need your heart, Jesus. So realize you have three enemies, Satan, the world, and your flesh. So I want to talk about fighting the right fight. And Jesus told Pilate something very revealing. Do you guys remember what's going on in John 18? Jesus has been arrested. He's standing before Pilate. 
He's being questioned. He's asked if he really is a king. And how does Jesus respond? He says, my kingdom is not of this world. This is in verse 36 of chapter 18. My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. What was he saying there? Which kingdom should his servants be fighting for? This world's or a different one? His kingdom. Are we his followers? Are we his servants? Then we need to start fighting for his kingdom, which is not a kingdom of this world. It's something much greater. We should be active in this world, but realizing that all that is for a much greater purpose. It's his kingdom, which he desires, would be on this earth as it is in heaven. And it's something that he put us here first. Remember that the battle belongs to the Lord, right? This is his battle. And you're enlisted in his service. This is about people and eternity. He came to give sight to the blind and to set captives free, it says in Isaiah 42, 7. And he came to seek and to save the lost, it says in Luke 19, 10. Am I involved in that battle? Am I involved in the battle to give sight to the blind and to set captives free, to seek and to save the lost? Because that's the battle that his kingdom is all about. And if I'm his servant, I should be fighting that battle for that kingdom. It's what we've heard a few times throughout this weekend, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, where Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Whose responsibility is the Great Commission? Caleb nailed it. <laughs> I'm glad you didn't... Oh, I was going to say, I'm glad you didn't say ours. But you nailed it first because you pointed at you. <laughs> yeah, a lot of times we think it's ours collectively. Steve Shadrach, in his great book, The Fuel and the Flame, reminds us that the second we start thinking of the Great Commission as our responsibility, it becomes no one's responsibility. And it's time for us to see this as my responsibility my Savior, who enlisted me in his service for his battle, for his kingdom, says all authority is his, and Caleb, you do the Great Commission. Right? right. Okay, and Chris, you do the Great Commission. And sometimes we look at these uncertain times and we go, oh my gosh, it's so uncertain, what can I do? What's going to happen to my 401k? What's going to happen to my car? And he's saying, the harvest is ripe. Matthew 9.37. It's the workers that are few, because the workers are worrying about their 401ks. We're called to be workers in the harvest, guys. And what I would note about uncertain times is they make the harvest a whole lot riper. Isn't that true? Just look at history. When times are uncertain, people get interested in Jesus. If you look at college students today, and we survey college students to see where they're at, this year... The average view of Jesus is higher than we've ever measured it. The average view of the church is probably lower. <laughs> we didn't ask that question because we know it's going to be very, very low. If you go to 10 students on your campus, Noel, and say, Hey, what do you think about church? 
What's going to be the answer? Not too excited, right? Exactly. But when you go to those same 10 students and ask them about Jesus, on our campus, you know what the average rating Jesus gets? 8.2 out of 10. It's a higher approval rating than Obama or anybody in politics. <laughs> That's a higher approval rating than any musician. It's a higher approval rating than any phone or any gadget or any computer. That's probably a higher approval rating than any video game on the market. I heard guys today debating what's better. PS3 or Xbox 2 or whatever. I don't play video games, so I'm not sure. But anyway, that might go down, what, 50-50, 60-40? Probably not 82 out of 100 or 8.2 out of 10. What I'm telling you guys is that as times get uncertain, as question marks get bigger, as the future looks less promising, Jesus looks better and better and better to the harvest that's getting riper all around us. Now, we can get focused on the and stay out of the harvest, or we can get focused on Christ and get to be workers in his harvest. And that's my challenge to you is, you're enlisted in his service, so it's time to get in the harvest and to fight this fight the right way. So here are a few different ways that you can fight this fight the right way. 2 Timothy 2, 3-4 says, Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. So if I'm getting entangled in civilian affairs, I'm not being a good soldier of Jesus Christ. So how do I fight the fight the right way? I go all in. I'm not going to be distracted. I'm 100% in this fight. I don't have any ulterior motives. I'm in this for him alone, to do all that he's put me here to do for this time and at this place. Next, I fight this fight in the power of His Holy Spirit because I can't do it alone. Do you remember the scriptural principle that we find in Zechariah 4.6? Not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. You can't do it alone, but you have to fight this fight in the power of His Holy Spirit. Next, i got to fight this fight clothed in His armor. Ephesians 6.13 says, Therefore, put on the full armor of God, and we've quoted this three times, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. I need to put on the belt of truth by walking in the truth, knowing the truth, and applying it in my life. I need to put on the breastplate of righteousness by walking in his righteousness, not walking a life of sin, making myself susceptible to Satan's attacks. I need to put on my spiritual shoes by living a lifestyle of evangelism. I need to take up that shield of faith by walking by faith, looking far past my circumstances. I need to put on the helmet of salvation, which 1 Thessalonians 5.8 refers to as the hope of salvation, the eternal perspective that I have that guards my mind against the confusion, anxiety, and stress of the uncertainty. And guys, I need to take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, using that offensively, in every situation that comes against me in this uncertain world. And I need to pray on all occasions as His Spirit directs me, as it says at the conclusion of that passage. Throughout the day, just as a side note, God is leading you by His Spirit to pray constantly. And you can ignore it or just be passive or recognize, wow, maybe God wanted me to be praying for that. You guys will probably notice how God will put somebody on your mind many times in a certain day. 
pray for that person. I can't tell you how many times I found out later that I needed to be praying for that person. So be praying in the Spirit as His Holy Spirit directs you. Okay, next, fight diligently. Listen to Paul's perspective on the battle in 1 Corinthians 9. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training, like Dale talked about this morning. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body, and I make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Lest you think he's talking about losing your salvation there, that's not what he's saying. He's not saying that if you don't fight right, you're done. He's saying don't get disqualified for the prize. See, God has saved you because you put your faith in him. And there's your reward that waits for you in heaven because of how you serve him after he saved you. And Paul's saying, I don't want to be disqualified for that prize. I don't want to be disqualified for all that he wants to do through me for his own glory. I don't want to be disqualified for all the fruit that he wants to bear in my life. I love how Russ talks. As Russ is getting older, it's pretty cool to watch his life. Because he keeps talking about, I know I only have so many more years, and I want to bring the most fruit I can to heaven. And I love Russ's language. He goes, I want to bring a big dump truck of fruit to heaven. <laughs> you guys, don't you want that attitude? Don't you want the attitude? I don't want to go in with a couple apples <laughs> or a grape or two. <laughs> I want to go in with a dump truck of fruit. Right? That's what Paul is saying. So I beat my body into submission and I make it my slave so that I'm not going to get disqualified for that. I'm going to do whatever it takes to bear fruit for God. Next, guys, I want to encourage you to fight courageously because when you look at uncertain times, you'll be tempted to fear. You'll be tempted to freak out. You'll be tempted to run and, and hide. And you need to fight courageously. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 says, Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be men of courage, be strong, do everything in love. We should be setting the standard for courage in our country as Christian men. We have the least to fear of anybody in this country. Next, fight lovingly. That passage I just read concludes with do everything in love. It reminds me of what Gordy talked about this morning. Do I so lack compassion with 19,000 children dying today? I need to fight this fight lovingly. Finally, I wanted to say to fight the, fight the right way, you guys need to get in the fight club, right, Josh? And the fight club is the body around you that's going to fight alongside you. It's other brothers and sisters. What's that, Caleb? You just broke your first rule, fight club. Oh. <laughs> okay, this is the, the new fight club. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Again, you can't stand alone and you need to get in a fight club to fight this fight the right way. That's called accountability. And you have men around you, back home at your church, or you have men in your city that will stand with you and fight this fight the right way. So a call to the fight. The Jews missed the Messiah because they were waiting for a political savior. Do you remember this? They were waiting for somebody that would come and that would boot the Romans out of Israel. And I'm not criticizing them for that desire. Obviously, Roman imperialism was terrible. But at the same time, that was a wrong desire. 
in the sense that it distracted from what God was doing. And sometimes I can get so focused, and I know myself, I get so involved in what's going on in our country, and I can get so involved there that I lose sight of the big picture of what God might be doing all around me. He might be ripening the harvest all around me, and I'm focused on something that's not even in the vineyard. <laughs> okay? I need to get my eyes on the vineyard, to be in tune with what he's doing around me. Don't get taken out of, the out of the battle. Remember what Nehemiah said, From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. These guys were not going to be passive about the fight. They were going to be involved in the fight. So I want to, see, I want to say be ready, be proactive, not reactive. Think offensively. Always look to shore up your defenses, but always look to take new ground. We should be looking at every situation in our lives thinking, how can I win this ground for Jesus? How can I win my workplace for Christ? How can I win my school for Christ? What do I have to do? A couple of years ago, we started the God Solution radio show in Durango. And it's this evangelistic and apologetic radio show. And we share the gospel every single week on a secular station. And we share all the evidence for Christianity and why all other worldviews fall way short of that. And I get a lot of good feedback, and FYI, if you like the show, you should give good feedback, because there's been a whole lot of negative feedback coming in lately. And I talked to the show manager last week, and he said, I know a lot of people that hate your show. <laughs> and he goes, there are a few people that, that ask me, why in the world is this show on this station? I hate this show. I despise this show. I can't stand this show. <laughs> and he said, well, we have to have freedom of speech. And... What I'm encouraging you guys is the whole reason that we started that show wasn't because we wanted to do a radio show. Because it'd be easier to go on a Christian station and try and preach to the choir and have nobody get mad at you. But we want to take the fight to the enemy, <laughs> right? We want to go where people are listening that aren't going to be in church Sunday morning. And Sunday morning, our show is on the airwaves when... A lot of Christians are in church and a lot of other people are rolling out of bed, turning on the radio, going, wait a minute. <laughs> Atheism is wrong because of what? That happened last week. I got cussed out on the KDR Facebook page, I guess. I didn't see the exact post, but I saw a cleaned up version of it. Anyway, you guys, I want to encourage you to take the fight to the enemy. I got asked to speak to an atheist class last week. This is a couple months ago that I got asked. Okay, it's a class that's been studying the arguments for and against atheism all semester long. Do you know how insecure I felt about going to speak to that class? <laughs> I haven't studied this one topic for an entire semester, <laughs> right? I didn't hesitate for one second to say yes. And the professor said, do you want one hour or two hours? I said, I'll take two hours. <laughs> I'll take whatever you give me because I want to take the fight to the enemy. I don't want to wait where I'm at. Uh, you bet I'm scared and insecure, but you know what? I'm going to take the fight there. And guess what? Maybe I'll get shut down. But at least I got shot down in enemy territory. Right? Let's start thinking that way. And I'm far too passive. Malcolm is such an example to me, man. Malcolm, we get told not to go out sharing. And I'm trying to be very politically careful with this. We're going to talk to the lawyers, get them on this case, and we're going to respect people while we're doing this, and eventually we'll get back out there, but only after we send the letter, and we're going to do this, we're going we're gonna to make sure not to make more enemies, but we're going to get out there, and if they, at the end, keep us off, well, we're going to do it anyway, but for now, we're going to be careful. 
See, Malcolm, so how's your day going? Oh, I went sharing this morning. <laughs> Malcolm's just like, I'm not stopping. Are you kidding me? And he's taking the guys. He'd take Chris sharing. You guys, let's take the fight to the enemy instead of passively waiting around where we're at, hoping that the fight doesn't come to us. So get in the fight, guys. Remember Acts 17, 26 through 27. You're here for this time and for this very reason at this very place so that people would come to know Jesus. This is your time, Robert. This is not an accident. This is your time. <laughs> Grasp that. God put you here, Mark, for this time. And he said, this is your time to rise to the occasion and to make me known throughout this world. You were made for this. Does that resonate with you? Andrew, you were made for this. This is no accident. Everything that's happened in your past was God preparing you for this so that you could take the fight to the enemy today. He didn't put you here on accident. This is your purpose that he's talking about. Josh was asking about vision last night. And the question isn't, what do I have to do to find God's vision? It's get in the fight because the vision's going to happen. God's been preparing you for this and he will lead you graciously into the fight, no doubt. So do you want to thrive during uncertainty? Don't freak out about the uncertainty. Get in the fight and fight to win, not just to survive. And I want to encourage you practically. That begins with being faithful today. Not just waiting for something big down the road. That begins with being faithful today with the little that God's asked you to be faithful with today. That involves loving God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. That involves loving others like yourself. That involves being the husband and father that God made you to be. That involves being committed to the local body of believers that God has asked you to be committed to. And on that note, I had a talk with a student this week, and he said, you know, I didn't want to get so involved this year because there were some you know, obvious problems that I saw in, in this ministry. And he said, then I realized, but this is my family. <laughs> and I said, yep, I'll be the first to tell you we are far from perfect, <laughs> you know. But let's fight this fight together the best we can. So get involved and be committed to your local church. Get on your knees. This is a fight that must be won in prayer, as Russ shared last night. We need to fight this fight on our knees. Kyle is going to talk to us tomorrow about fighting this fight by drawing near to Christ. That's how we need to fight this fight. We need to fight this fight by sharing our faith. So I'm encouraging you practically, write down five people that God wants you to share with in your sphere of influence. That's part of the fight he wants you to fight. We need to fight this fight by making disciples what he called us to, what he's equipped you for. If you need help with that, we'll give you some resources. You'll find victory over every sin and temptation you're dealing with in the fight. A soldier in the middle of a firefight is not thinking about his struggle with porn. Right? When we get in the fight, those struggles become nothing because we are focused on the fight. But when we're back at the palace like David, avoiding the fight, those temptations become so much stronger. So you'll find victory. You'll find the abundant life that Christ promised. You'll find excitement. Don't you guys want excitement in your walk with God? You'll find it in the fight. You'll find meaning. You'll find significance. You'll find joy. You'll find peace. You'll find all that God has promised you in Scripture when you fight the fight to win, not just to survive. So get in the fight.
You guys, the harder you fight in the power of His Holy Spirit, of course it has to be in His Holy Spirit, the better you'll thrive during these uncertain but God-ordained times. Did you get that? You'll thrive as you pursue the fight. And as I close, I have to remind you that He says in Romans 8.37 that you're more than conquerors. So what could possibly keep you from getting in the fight? You guys, this world is uncertain, but the one who holds the world in his hand is not uncertain at all. And he knows everything that's happening. He's allowed everything that's happening. Satan might be the prince of this world system, but he's on a very short leash. He can't do anything with God, without God okaying it, without God knowing how it'll fit into his grand plan. So it's time to stop getting freaked out about the uncertain times. And they'll start saying, I am all in this fight. And I'm going to charge headlong into the fight, ready to do all God has put me here to do. Yeah.